Welcome to Movies and Tea. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my wonderful co-host, Kim. Hello, everyone. And uh, this is a very special secret bonus episode that we're recording because while we are in the midst of producing season four at the minute, we were given the opportunity to view a screener for the film I Used to Be Normal, a boy band fangirl story. And, uh, you know, we thought we'd just... uh, take this opportunity to sort of sit down and discuss this really fascinating documentary about boy band culture in particular following four boy band fans um we've got elif who's a one direction fan uh we've got daria who's a take that fan sadia who is a backstreet boys fan and we've got susan who's a fan of the beatles so we've got Four very different uh, boy bands and four very different fans. And the documentary follows these four fans and tries to find out what it is about their boy band uh, that sort of drives obsession with them. And, uh, you know, tries to find out what it is about boy brands that forms this sort of hysteria and this uh, obsession. So it's a really sort of interesting topic right off the bat. Uh, this is a documentary which is directed by Jessica Lesky. Um, and this is her first films as a director. So it's got very exciting uh, in that respect. And I mean, I have to sort of ask right off the bat, I mean, Kim, were you ever like a boy band fan? I mean, as far as like my personal sort of fandom in this sort of era of pop music, I would say that. I mean, I was a fan of the Spice Girls, but I was never like a uh, boy band obsessive even though it does seem to be like a hip thing for guys to actually be into boy bands i don't know about guys and boy bands if they are they're very closeted i would say and um i think the comparison is there but like for me i think that i like boy bands but i've never i've also been very closeted because i think that you know i felt like that was the funniest part about like the best part about this um, this documentary is the is the point that they make about how it's people who like boy bands are not too expressive about it because you're portrayed as being dumb and stupid for falling for this kind of you know openly you know commercial sort of grouping which fulfills all these categories and and they're like these dream guys you know or they have to be like these dream guys in your life and you know, you fall for them in your teenage years before you know better. And it's it becomes this great hysteria, right? And I don't know, I guess I had my moments, <laughs> but I've never been like crazy about any boy brand. I think the closest I probably ever got was NSYNC. Okay, yeah, I can understand that. I liked NSYNC. There's a thing when it came to the like the boy band era. I like the American ones, like I liked NSYNC and I like Backstreet Boys, and even further back, Nuclids and the Block were pretty cool. But like all the British ones, I just thought like every. I think it's when it came to the British ones, I just thought they were all like just the worst posers, and it was just like just insane hatred. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that all the girls in school just used to constantly bang on about boy bands and particular members and like paste like every photo or any notebook that they had were always covered in boy band things so you built this resentment against these guys um and the fact that they were just constantly everywhere so as i said when it came to british boy bands i just absolutely hated them all and american boy bands just seemed a little more polished it actually seemed like they were booting out songs that you might want to listen to yeah um, so yeah, and, and you know, like, I, I, I didn't grow up with a lot of um, American music to begin with. So I think the first group for, like, the first group that really, like, you know, was a big deal was probably, like, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, who came up, you know, fairly at around the same time, I guess. I remembered my mom bought me this New Kids in the Block notebook once because it was on sale. And I didn't know who they were, but I used it. <laughs> and, um... But no, I mean, like, for me, I think that, you know, between NSYNC and, you know, probably some early 90s, probably Hong Kong boy band or something, that co- that kind of thing, like, it would be, it would be more like where it was. Like, I remember boy bands, but I don't think I ever went crazy, you know, but at the same time, I can kind of, I can kind of relate to being, like, really obsessed over, like, you know, um, 
obsessed over like uh, a, a singer or a performer or something. But um, for myself, at least, I don't think I was ever that crazy about, you know, NSYNC or, or whatnot. I liked them a lot, but it wasn't a very long phase in comparison to say like all these girls um, that, you know, talk about that talk about, you know, this lifelong obsession and, you know, kind of like, well, lifelong. I mean, the one who's 16 in One Direction wasn't that lifelong yet. It's so part. <laughs> She's still growing up. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the documentary, it's, I think it's a short over a period of four years. So especially with Alif, who's our One Direction fan, we get to see her sort of go from being this like obsessional sort of emotional wreck fango like the slightest like mention of one direction she's just in like floods of tears and she's like so emotional like they have this uh, video where it's like the announcement for the one direction concept video and she's like this emotional wreck mm-hmm. it's like this it's like like the second coming for her it's like oh my god they're releasing a concept video and it, she said that she like shot this video and like became like this viral sensation just because of uh her, her rea- big reaction to one direction and i mean with one direction i've we've got all the hype over here and we've had numerous documentaries about how obsessed like the fans are and and stuff over and thankfully it doesn't go the same direction these other documentaries go away it just like shows the nuttiest of the nutty mm-hmm. and you know the four subjects that we follow here they're all pretty grounded people you know they're all average average sort of people they hold down jobs and they you know get on with their day-to-day life and stuff and this is just the thing that really interests them and it was really interesting seeing how each of them came to sort of discover their band and where their sort of obsession takes them i mean obviously with Alif, you can obviously it's a very sort of modern thing it's like all through spotify that she sort of like discovers them and then when we look at like daria and sadia who are sort of more in like i mean daria's 33 daria's 23 so they're sort of like the more xenial sort of range so we've like uh we started it's like oh her boyfriend bought her this calendar and then suddenly replaced the boyfriend with her obsession with backstreet boys <laughs> and um and obviously daria is sort of like being grew this sort of like obsession with her and it actually led to her sort of like discovering the fact that she was gay and there's this wonderful part in the documentary where she's sort of like, oh, how can I be gay and like boy bands? And then it was like, oh, I realized that she wanted to be Gary, Gary Barlow and have women adoring me. And it was like, wow, that's such an interesting insight. And the film, despite obviously the subject matter, you would think, oh, it's boy bands. There's nothing really interesting yeah. to talk about here. We have these occasional bursts of fascinating insights, especially from like Dario and Sardia. And I mean, Susan to an extent also gives us some, some insights. And it's all like the the older yeah um of the of these four ones have the most interesting insights whereas a leaf it's sort of more uh her growing up mm-hmm. and we end the film with her being 18 and she's still very much like a child which is kind of weird especially when i compare it to my own childhood because when i was 18 i was like out the door i was <laughs> out in the world i wasn't still going well i'm still a child and i can't do these things for my parents say that i can't and it was all like, no, when, as soon as they're like 16, it's like my parents like, no, you're making your own choices. You decide your path. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of weird the fact that she's like, oh, when I'm 21, maybe I can do music. And all this is like, but very weird. I think that that's the difference is that at the same time, you know, while they had, they had a good mix of fans because a part of them were immigrant families. And I can understand that because I grew up in an immigrant family. Like I didn't immigrate here. I was born in Canada. But my parents were immigrants. And the control that you have at home is very different from other people. So to the how she reacts and how she is towards this whole boy band thing, I think the fascinating part is really that you get to see how all these people with these different backgrounds have this same love for boy bands. And then they each come to, you know... I think that that was a really good way to say is that, you know, when I first looked at this documentary, I I really thought didn't know what direction they were going to take with this. Because if you're talking about just, you know, exploring boy band theory, which is very interesting, and I really was pretty uh, intrigued by, you know, how they set up that boy, boy band theory. And, you know, a lot of it doesn't make sense. It, you know, pegs a lot of points and whatnot. 
And at the same time, you you look at them, and then this this uh, the second half of the documentary really takes a turn to be a lot more serious, where fangirls of boy bands, as they get older, they start questioning their love for the boy bands. It's like, it's kind of like the boy band is their first love. It'll always be with them, but in a different form, right? And, yeah. and for them, it was kind of like everyone used, were, was able to make something really positive out of, you know, the boy band. Like, um, you know, they were, the, the bands, the, you know, these boy bands, whether they were together or separate, the music would be able to, you know, bring them through dark times in their lives, or it'll be able to um, lead them into, you know, like Sadia. She was able to, um, she was able to take that, you know, daily newsletter thing and turn herself into a writer right now. Um, just like, you know, Alif, while she's still young, she she took her, you know, she realized she discovered her passion for making music. And now she wants to make music, and and One Direction's you know breakthrough with through um, X Factor really gave her that you know hope that one day she'll be able to do that same path. And I think that you know that's that's a really positive way to look at boy bands because we always think about you know um, people obsessing over these um, these actors or singers or these idols. But everybody views it as this very negative experience. But if your idol is a positive, has a positive image, and they're able to kind of give you that kind of like, you know, uh, I don't know, enlightenment or something, where you know gives you direction and makes you you know want to do better, and your life isn't just about obsessing over them, but you still have you know you find yourself through the process. I think that it's the same concept as how you know music is comfort and. There are certain people that, you know, can guide you through your life. And it's not always, like, a negative thing. Just like, you know, there's always so many ways to look at things like, you know, gaming or or, or just any form of, you know, people in this world. <laughs> yeah, and I have to say, obviously, where you're talking about, obviously, the role model side of things, the documentary keeps everything very sort of um, safe, everything's kind of very saturated and sweet, especially when it comes to how the boy bands are sort of like portrayed so it doesn't go into depth of any of the scandals or any of the breakups and stuff so like with one direction we don't hear about uh zane leaving with um take that it doesn't even mean we take that it's really interesting it doesn't even mention about robbie leaving the only sort of major sort of point of the take that story is the fact that um and this is what i was telling my wife today when i was telling her about the documentary is that when Daria's mother um, banned her from going to see Take That, and it was like, oh, you can go next year. And it was like the, the February that they broke up, and then she sort of like held it against her mother for like a number of years so that when they reformed and she was backpacking in London, and um, Daria's mother was like, right, I'm wiring you money so you can buy a ticket and you can buy a t shirt. <laughs> and it's like this big redemptive thing. And it's like, oh, that's such a sweet story. And at the same time, we're not talking about the fact that. Gary Barlow and co uh, got this huge financial scandal where they're putting money offshore because OBE of course stands for offshore banking expert doesn't it so and I mean even with like the Beatles and Susan she's like oh it's like I was obsessed with uh, with with John and he's like well of course we're not going to mention what a horrible horrible person he was so we're just going to keep everything just on the fan level we're just going to keep it as like this perfect it's almost like it keeps these bands in the same perfect image that these fans hold them in but that these unflawless sort of creatures but that's the thing is boy bands are created under all these criterias and they're meant to be dreamy and they're meant to be mysterious there's meant to be cute they're meant to be perfect they're meant to be that as a group they fulfill every single element of your fantasy of of what a guy should be and and it, it's, you know, kind of like a phase that you go through in your teenage years where you just kind of look at these people and, and, and you think about all these things. And I can kind of understand that because I know between me and you, you know, I have a big love for uh, Hong Kong singer Nicholas Tse. And <laughs> yes, Nicholas <laughs> no, it had, derailed another show. Yeah. And then <laughs> Nicholas Tse is, I, I, while he's not a boy band, 
I can view it the same way as what you're saying, where, you know, he had a big scandal, but I think because of the scandal itself, like, you become very defensive of this person, and a lot of people become like, you know, oh, you know, well, there's these issues, and there's these things, and he's like a bad boy, and you expect him to do these spoiled things, you know, or he goes and crashes his car and crap like crap like that, and then he, he gets community service, and and it's all that reality, but you kind of forget about it, right? Because when he comes out of it, he becomes a better person. It's kind of like if you were going to talk about Robert Downey Jr. right now, and you're like, well, the guy went to jail and no one talks about him now, you know? <laughs> we only know him as Iron Man. We forgot about his past. <laughs> it's a, it's a, we're, we're, Yeah, Robert Downey Jr., there's very much two faces. You've got, like, Mr. Bad Boy Hollywood... Uh, when he was like coming up and he was on multiple drug charges and the fact he managed to derail Ali McBeal because he was got arrested for cocaine and it was like, like and now there's a whole group of people who just seem as like as you said he's Iron Man yeah and the he, the fact he did it so well the fact that we now can't see anyone else play that role but you would never think to look at early years uh Robert Downey Jr that this guy would like be the cornerstone the the tentpole of uh of the marvel cinematic universe but I, but i think that that's the thing is while we view our you know we view our 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 idols and the people we we like a lot at our in our younger years in a certain light and in a certain way because you're so young and you grow up as they grow up i think that it becomes something that you kind of forgive and you kind of forget and mm. you know because they're kind of like that light right they're they're, they're that childhood moment, that childhood happiness that you get. And as they grow up, you're at the same level as them. They make mistakes. We make mistakes. They're, it makes them more human, right? But at the same time, you know, when they were a group, they're meant to be a certain way. Um, I don't know if it's really true, but I know that... But I, I, when I like when I watch like TV series and stuff about like China, China, boy, China idols and stuff like that... There's like, you know, contracts. I don't know if they have it here, but I believe they have like contracts about, you know, like the way you're supposed to behave. Like you're not supposed to have a girlfriend while you're in the band and you're not supposed to, you know, um, have any, um, have any like, go like uh, any uh, bad news on you and like, like negative uh, publicity. And you're not, su you're supposed to be that perfect guy who people still desire and you have to be perfect all the time. Oh yeah, there's and it's not just limited to pop groups. Like you yeah. see, like in the old, uh, in the old sort of days of like the wrestling with like the female wrestlers and stuff, that they couldn't be seen as having boyfriends because they have to be seen as being available. Mm -hmm. And you're you're right. I mean, even with idol groups now, the fact that they have they're under contracted, so they can't be seen as having partners. They got to be seen as being like available, so that you know it's easy for the fans to incorporate that sort of fantasy and yeah. it's funny as well when when these girls like talk about when members of the band they had girlfriends yeah. and wives and then they get and married stuff. and and it's like how the fans view this intruder who's coming in and ruining their dream yeah <laughs> and then and then i think i think they, they take it in a very mature way because you see the the view of the people change throughout right as a different age group and looking at a different a different boy band you can see that because you know we do have you know what's really great is that they chose four people of four different age groups yeah so it gives you a really good like idea of the maturity of each group as they were dealing with their different boy bands in their different decades and you know they they talk about these things and then as you see like some of the boy bands as they you, you talk about oh you know the beatles and you know whoever having a wife and whatever and they're able to slowly you know from the point of not accepting people become accepting and and it, it's like that different phase that goes through and it's one of those elements that I really like is that that's the reality is that this is in reality a documentary of coming of age. It's like a coming of age story, a real coming of age story of four women who just happen to obsessively love boy bands. They're all different in their own ways. They each have their different backgrounds, um, you know, and, and like you said, you know, they each have their own sexual orientation and they have their own, you know, um, backstory and we get to know all this throughout the the story so it's not only about 
the boy bands. It's also about, you know, the people that they're interviewing and this very real idea of how the boy bands have affected them as well as kind of complemented their lives and, and made it better. Definitely so. And it's, I, I think it's really all the more advantage to the film, the fact that these four subjects are all hoarders. And I mean this in like the most, the most nicest way possible is the fact what? that... What? You don't hoard? All... What are you talking about? I hoard all <laughs> yeah. kinds of stuff. You don't have... To, it's because you're not as crazy. We, I had that discussion with, with my husband while I was like, or after I was watching this. And I was telling him, I was like, I was like, you know, but that's the thing is, you know, I have a closet which is full of like, just things that I've saved up, you know, whether it's like old CDs, I have a box of like cassette tapes that I'd never listen to anymore. And I have a bunch of VHS tapes that I don't want to watch anymore. <laughs> but they're all things of things that I loved. And it's all, you know, you hoard because you can't really let go. It's all part of your life. And you think, oh, well, one day I'm going to go look back at it. And it's going to remind me of that really great time in my life when I could be a kid and not worry about everything. And this was my escape. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we're here talking about, I'm here criticizing people hoarders and we look around our studio here and it's just like books and tapes and God knows whatever rubbish we collect. <laughs> yeah, just all this stuff with mass here. <laughs> being real professional-like and stuff. But um, it's great for, like, the historical sort of context because certainly when you look at Susan, who, yeah. I mean, she's 64 and a Beatles fan, and you see the memorabilia from the Beatles and stuff, and you compare it to, like, the modern-day stuff of, like, the Take That memorabilia yeah. and the One Direction memorabilia. Mm -hmm. And some of it, so much of it sort of repeats itself yeah. or there's, like, a variation. And she's there got, like, the, the card and it's like, uh, kiss your favorite beetle, and it's like the lips of the different beetles, so you can <laughs> pretend to make out Ringo or Paul or whoever. And you see like a similar thing with like the One Direction fans, and it's like, wow, nothing really changes apart from the people that are being obsessed about. And yeah, it it's really sort of interesting the fact that, and and I'm just gonna keep saying it's interesting because we keep you keep having the things where you think oh that was that was interesting and they'd be like throw something else and you go wow that really was interesting so um and she like talks about the fact that she was at southern cross which was like seen as a blight on melbourne <laughs> according to the the mm. mayor uh because all these beatles fans turned up and it was like an absolute riot of beatlemania yeah and that was next level stuff that was next level like seriously <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm watching it, watching it, and uh, thinking, well, wow, I guess the monkeys didn't make it over to Australia then, because, <laughs> but you know, that's my own personal preference. But um, it's it's just really when you see her talk about her sort of fandom and her journey, and especially when the girls they talk about about those sort of like fantasy moments, and they're all animated as well which yeah. is so charming the fact that it's like oh when you got a leaf it's like oh, i was dreamed i was off in the woods playing tag with zane and uh <laughs> susan's like oh i used to used to have her uh, like uh fantasies that me and john were like jumping up and down on the bed and if it got rather risque we'd have sex and it's like oh <laughs> listen she's like she's like a fully mature woman yet she's still got this like childish like it takes her back to talk about these things to sort of like that that era of her childhood sort of like oh it's so naughty to talk about doing things with celebrities and <laughs> and uh i think sadie had the best one where she can't swim yeah. but she's obsessed with nick and nick loves the ocean and he's gonna teach her to swim and they're gonna <laughs> have a house next to the ocean and swim with dolphins and it's like <laughs> oh it's just I some, think the some, something about that is just really, really great, though. Like, I, I, th I think it's so great because I, I think I think from your angle and my angle, it was a very different way of viewing the documentary because in, in some ways, a lot of this stuff I can relate to because when I had a dream about, you know, my idol and he was playing guitar to me and, like, serenading <laughs> me on his guitar. And I was like, whoa, life. If only that happened. You know, you keep holding on to that dream. You're like, he's going to do it one day. I'm going to meet him one day, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it feels, and that's the thing is, it feels so real. And, you know, one thing that actually I can relate to is Susan goes to this um, Beatles exhibit. And I actually went to the same one because it toured in Montreal. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I saw the stuff and I was like, wow, I saw that. <laughs> the setup was exactly the same. <laughs> 
it's uh yeah and and you see how these girls that they get into like this 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 whole sort of fantasy of of it and at least like oh if i do music then i would be on the red carpet and i would meet one direction yeah. and they would fall in love with me and with um i went to with uh daria the fact that she said she was like memorizing all the dance moves from the from the concert video for take that so that if one of them like <laughs> like fell down sick and so she could like be phased in and take their place <laughs> i think daria is a really great uh interview subject because mm-hmm. she's so in tune with the psychology of the situation and it, mm-hmm. it again this is where the real credit to credit for the film comes in is the fact that each of these subjects all bring something to the film and Dara is like the most analytical yeah. of the four and she when she gets on the whiteboard and she starts outlining well a boy band you know, needs these members you've got to have like the father figure you've got to have the bad boy you've got to have the young one you've got to have the uh, the one with the the edge the cool guy and stuff and mm-hmm. it's all like oh boys and men they can't be classed as a boy band because you know they they talk about sex so that's that eludes them straight away and i guess if we were doing a bigger scale then e17 would also be in that pile mm-hmm. and it's just really funny when she breaks it down you realize wow there really is a formula for all these groups it's yeah. like and then you can apply this to any group and it's like wow they they fall in this category yeah and then, and then on top of that it, it's kind of like you know you see the difference also because you know, the bands they've talked about, most of them have, you know, broken up or, you know, at least some of the members do not exist anymore. So you, you look at them and then as they break out, you see like, you know, a lot of them now, you know, by themselves, they grow beards and, you know, they, they, have, they have like tattoos and they're more like, you know, they really embrace their, their, their own personality. Whereas as a boy band, um, a lot of these people, like, it's it's very, like, you know, a cookie-cutter formula. And as they talk about these people also, you really see the, you know, the choice of music is very similar. The way the music is is very similar. The only thing that changes is that maybe every decade what is popular changes a little. Uh, maybe their style is a di- little different, you know. And all of them, even the videos, you can see, like, as they're showing it, you know, just... Just the the way that it's formed and how the they act and and all that, you know. I remembered watching Backstreet Boys videos and stuff like that, and I would laugh like crazy at it because I was like, "This is so stupid, so ridiculous. Why do people like this?" You know. And then and then you know you turn around and you're like, now in the car, it's like Backstreet Boys goes on the radio, and I'm like and I'm like, "Get out, get out," you know. And then you start singing, <laughs> and then the husband's like, "Shut up." You know, sort of thing. Turn down the radio, <laughs> but you know, like that's the thing is, boy band theory is it. It really shows how real it is, and just the fact that they have very catchy things, and and a lot of thing they make it still. You know, they still have a lot of that naivety and that innocence while being that you know boyfriend kind of uh, mold, and it's it, it's it's really incredible because you know you look at this and. And Dara, you know, as she does this, she ends it with the fact that she talks about this, you know, people are falling for this kind of like, this is this image that they have. And, and the main goal of it is that it's a commercial venture. They group all these people together and it, and it's really companies grouping people together as a commercial venture. And that is like very real. (laughs) It's that when, when this is happening to you, when you're having that fangirl over a boy band thing, you don't notice this. But as you get older, you start seeing these, you know, the reality behind why these things are created. Definitely so. And I think we certainly see it now with like the uh, K-pop factories that are just churning churning them out. And the process it follows, especially within like the Asian music scene, where you start off in a boy band, and if you're really good, you get to have a solo career, and you get to be an actor, and you have to have all these different sort of roles to play. I, I think, you know, that's the thing is, this past year, I've been really diving into, you know, like a lot of China variety shows, and China is every single channel, or almost all of them, whether it's uh, iQiyi, the bigger ones is uh, iQiyi and Tencent. Um, they both have their own shows. One is called Idol Producer, and the other one is called um, Pro- Produce 101, Produce Camp, I think. And 
I watch both of these shows and every year they have it. And the goal behind it is to churn out these things. They choose their number, I think, for, for one of them is nine members and the other one is 11 members. And it's a group of what starts off as a hundred boys are together to audition. They're grouped into different categories. And then during the, the thing, the nation chooses the popularity of, you know, the most popular ones and the most votes will go through. And then their contract is for a year and a half. Once the band is, once the boy band is created, it's for a year and a half that these nine people or 11 people will be grouped together as this boy band and they will disband after the contract ends. So if anything, this is about it as commercial venture as, you know, it goes. <laughs> It's, it's certainly a lot more more brutally cut over there. I mean, as I said, in Extract 2, we just have the weekend votes. We have the week votes where we watch your favorite songs butchered by some some talent wannabe. So, but um, oh, the, I can't watch those shows anymore because every it, it now it seems it's like it's as much about your singing ability as it is about your sob story. It it, so. it is, but I think that, you know, the like, I don't watch X Factor and I don't watch um, all those, uh, you know, uh, American Idol and stuff like that anymore. But like for me, like when when you watch the, the Chinese shows, like I think it's really important that they give the nation time to kind of like know these people, because this is like for them also, they go into camp for like four months. And then they also have, you know, obviously there's a bit of sobbing because, you know, they cut down the group as it goes. So they get eliminated every two weeks or something. So it kind of cuts like 100, turns to 53 or 55, and the 55 cuts to like uh, 30, and then it cuts to like, you know, whatever top, whatever, and then it goes into the final sort of thing. So it's a, it's a brutal process. And, and yet, you know, I, I don't think it's a bad thing because it kind of gives all these people a chance to grow when you disband well nine percent was the first group that came out in this formula which just recently disbanded um uh the october 3rd and it's only a matter of seeing who's gonna make it out of these nine guys right so yeah yeah so i mean like in you know like the world has changed so much where you know this talks about the commercial venture and it's really interesting because you know at the same time i'm i'm having this you know this whole like understanding of this whole boy band and commercial venture concept which which is why I, I really like you know in that sense I really connected to the documentaries also because you really can see how you know obviously it's a different formula for China because they have like nine people and 11 people and that's much bigger in groups even when you talk about k-pop you know their groups are not three to five people they're mostly they're usually maybe like five to seven if not more yeah. you know when you talk about like um, I mean, back in my day, it was Super Junior, but apparently Super Junior has changed a ton already over the years. <laughs> or like EXO or something, you know? Those people were like in the, I think they were like 10 people or more. And, you know, they would have to rotate in order to get everybody on in the videos. <laughs> Not, they wouldn't be in all the videos, but you would see them here and there, you know? Mm. I think that, I think if, <clears throat> if she was to do a follow-up film yeah i think that it's definitely like the current k-pop boom yeah. would be a really fascinating subject to definitely. to cover and i mean certainly viceland have done their own documentary on on k-pop with part of the noisy series which is really sort of fascinating and just the fact that obviously it's become such a big thing over here in the west um certainly in like the states and here in britain that these k-pop bands are like coming over and most of them don't even like singing english which is even more astounding the fact that the very few bands that speak in their sing in their native tongue that are like popular. I mean, obviously like Ramstein, who are German, um, but as I said, they're they're a metawack. They're not pop groups. They're not yeah. there for like mass appeal. And yeah. I really like the fact that when we get to the last half of the the film, it sort of like brings us up to date. So we have like the fantasy and the nostalgia and the obsession which is the first hour of the film and then we get in the last half an hour and it sort of like brings us up to date and it's like well where does your fandom stand now yeah and certainly in the case of like sadia it feels almost like the end of the dream and it's kind of a little bit upsetting because she's still kind of obsessed with the Backstreet boys and she goes on the backstreet boys cruise yeah which seems to be a really 
in thing now. The fact it seems that everyone's got a cruise. Before it just used to be Jimmy Buffett, but now everyone's <laughs> hopped on the uh, thing so you can go and watch wrestling and cruising or you can go and hang out with the bare naked ladies, which is, I think I would do that one. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> Canada's favourite sons. And um, the Backstreet Boys apparently have their own cruise, which I didn't know about until this one. And yeah. it's just... 100% Backstreet Boys all the time and they play games and they do Backstreet Boys trivia and concerts and but you know you know in, in that sense in that sense I think that what connects the most I think is is I don't know if you've seen the movie Austin Land but it's the same kind of concept is that when you dive into a world where you're really in love with in Austin Land it was obviously the Jane Austen world yeah you know for Backstreet Boys Cruise how would it feel like when you're young? I think that that's what it determines is that when you're young, you love something and you can have it all the time. But, you know, there's kind of some resistance. There's kind of like that, you know, rebellion that you want to love this even more and that sort of thing. You want to really be involved. But as Sadia goes into this cruise, as she's older, it feels like it's a dream come true and it feels like it's something you've always wanted. But when you go and you start, as you're a more mature person, you go there and you kind of feel, I can understand that, you know, you start, like she calls it, she's watching people fangirl. She's like watching herself in action. And it's very traumatizing because, like, I am very aware of, say, like for myself, I am very aware of days when I was fangirling over things. I went to concerts and, you know, screamed a lot and you know, very excited over things that happened and um, and it was just a thing that your friends would understand, you know, kind of thing. And and yet, when you grow older and you think back to that and you watch it in action, you're just kind of like, this is so ridiculous, kind of embarrassing. I was like, how, how did I stand myself doing that, you know? And I think that she's at this point where she still loves the Backstreet Boys, but it's kind of something she wants to do in private. It's like something that is more of a personal thing. Like, not everybody needs to know about it as much as it used to be. Yeah. It's very much like being faced with this this mirror. Yeah. Of what, what you what you what you are when you're obviously surrounded by that, that many sort of people. Yeah. And I think you you find it with any sort of like a convention or in these sort of situations it sort of like really highlights it's like wow it's this is what i am to the to, to onlookers and it's also kind of uh, funny when she talks about like nick's wedding yeah and the fact that he had a moroccan um practice is it practice dinner or uh rehearsal dinner maybe yeah she had a had a moroccan themed rehearsal dinner and the fact they looked indian which is obviously ties in very well for her so it was kind of like she was seeing her fantasy wedding to nick playing out on instagram (laughs) which i thought was uh kind of kind of kind of interesting certainly when we talk about dara and as i said we mentioned before the fact that she was able to it was able to come to terms with with who she was as a person um i mean she likes gary which is a bit worrying but still you know (laughs) each to their own but she does meet her partner who is a robbie williams fanatic and that i can get on board with i can understand being a robbie williams fan (laughs) so uh so she has good taste in in uh in in ladies in partners so so it all work is it all works out well for dara in the end because she meets uh partner who's a Robbie Williams fan and uh, she decides that she's going to you know show this acceptance of her boy band obsession and I thought she was going to like form a club or get a tattoo but she actually shoots down the tattoo idea and she gets a boy band number plate yeah. and we see people in the background out in the photo taken with her number plate and she just finds it so funny and it's like wow that is so cool yeah, because I th- I think in, in that in as we reach the end, we kind of see them kind of release themselves a little, right? The while they they're still able to embrace the fact that you know they're a boy band fangirl, but in their own ways, they're expressing themselves as that person because a lot of them were like you know oh you know I used to be normal and uh, my friends don't think I'm normal anymore and I can't it seems like there's a distance because they just don't love 
the boy band I love as much as I do. They're not as passionate. They're not as enthusiastic. And, and you know, I have to be like, you know, there, there has to be like that point where, you know, there is not a lot of people who are as crazy as, you know, there are a select few who are like that, right? But everybody yeah. loves boy bands, but they're, you know, there are those random few who are extremely obsessed, you know, like they're really, really in love. Like it's a next level thing, right? Um, and I, d I don't understand it sometimes, but at the same time, like, at the same time, it's great to see that each of them, while they struggled with liking them, they're not fully able to give it up, right? So Sadia, she, she, she decides to, you know, put the picture inside her closet, which is <laughs> kind of like her going back into a closet. She opens a closet door and it's going to be there in the door, you know, kind of like a locker. And then, yeah. you know, and then like, you know, Dara has, has her, has her, her, her car, her car license plate. And, uh, and then, you know, you have different things like that. And it's really great to see that, you know, obviously I think in terms of Susan, I think she's, she just doesn't care. <laughs> it's like, she's all right with this. She's 64. Yeah. She's okay with this whole Beatles <laughs> love that she had, you know. Definitely. I think, I mean, with the Beatles, it's, it, this is a problem with the Beatles. It's kind of different because, you know, the people who are just obsessed with the Beatles, it's not got the same sort of stigma to it. And, and because we forget the the Beatles are essentially a boy band. Yeah. They were like that early model. I mean. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, the Beatles, if I'm not wrong, they didn't really disband. They kind of just. They, they grew apart. They grew apart, right? But they didn't officially be like, oh, we're not a group anymore. Whereas like, you um, know. Yeah, they, yeah, they called, uh, they called it a time of it. But at the same point, it was pretty much. It was pretty much established that yes, it's all sort of done and dusted. If I if I remember my Beatles history right, but okay, okay, it's they were all going off and doing different projects. Right. I mean, Paul McCartney was going off doing Wings. John Lennon was off being a phony saint. Uh, George Harrison was discovering spirituality, and Ringo Starr was voicing Thomas the Tank Engine. So they all had they all had their projects okay. that they were just going off and as I said, they just they were just four guys who grew apart in the end because. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, with her, it's obviously a bit different. But, and it's kind of nice, the fact that she still has that connecting moment in the fact that she had a friend who um, who got sick. And because of this, she can't listen to the early Beatles stuff. She can listen to, like, the later Beatles songs now. Mm -hmm. So they've each got this sort of transitional period. I yeah. think Leaf is the most extreme, and she's sort of like, "Oh, don't don't listen to pop music in white. I like jazz." Yeah, and I think I think a Leaf is kind of a Leaf story. If anything, is is kind of the the saddest one in my mind because it feels like. But then she's so young, you know. So I can't be like I feel really sad for her. I feel like there's there's still there's still so much possibility for her life, right? And for her, it's more like taking her on the path. Like I talked about, you know, now she's embraced music. She just needs her parents to accept that she's embraced music and that she can, you know, make a living out of this. And I, f I mean, she's eighteen when the film ends. Yeah. And she's she's bust a guitar, which I'm sure was like. Uh, we're all sort of like, fuck you, mom. <laughs> sort of, sort of angry. Unfortunately, we don't see how that happened. We don't get any insight, but I'm sure that's how that went down. And I mean, yes, I mean, why she can't pursue music. I mean, she gets into her dream school, but her parents will let her go. And she's sort of like at this crossroads, or where, where am I going to, going to go from here? And at, at the same time, and as I say, it's very difficult for myself, obviously, being because when we were 18 you know you're you're essentially an adult you're out in the world whereas mm -hmm. her at 18 it's like oh i'm still very much under my parents rule so it was very difficult to associate on her path and i found her the most difficult sort of one to connect with and i think it's just as i said i mean she's a young girl it's yeah and i'm here like a guy in his mid-30s so it's going to be hard for me to connect with like a teenager <laughs> on that sort of level and why obviously connect with like the xenial members of this documentary like diary and sadia yeah uh because well you know you their their music is what we grew up with you know so in that sense right like i mean i yeah. like one direction but i like i listen to one direction and i don't mind it but i don't like i'm not like 
Woo! You know, I gotta go to their concerts. You know, no, you know, like <laughs> you're very yeah. aware of what they're trying to sell, and you're very aware of not being caught up in this. You know, and you're you're much more reasonable. You know, but I, um... but for but for Alif, it feels like what it feels like is that she's really given up on One Direction. Like it's like they they separated and then she's done kind of thing you know like because you know like she doesn't listen to pop anymore and then she listens to jazz and then there's a lot of like it feels like it's really disconnected her the only connecting point she has is that she's really happy about it because it's really made her connect with music but it's also caused her this whole fallout with her parents kind of deal right yeah definitely um and there's again this is the it's the interesting thing the fact that she's she's in that position especially because now with the internet is giving everyone their tribe everyone can now connect with their tribe whereas back in the day um and we see this is certainly with like sadi where she's talking about using her parents email <laughs> address <laughs> like the fact they all shared one email address no one had their own email yeah this is how far back it was and she's uh sending out these like newsletters uh about backstreet boys that she was like the president of her little Backstreet Boys Association have these little elves and stuff and it's like wow I remember those internet days and then it's kind of like I really like the part where she just realizes that the the thing she writes is like president of something on her on, on president <laughs> of of, uh, of of what Backstreet Boys private life or something like that whatever that newsletter was called and then mm. she was like oh I should add this onto my LinkedIn <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but Ultimately, I think this is a it's a it's a surprisingly interesting subject matter. Yeah. On the surface, you think that it's either going to go in one direction, so it's not going to hold a load of man, load of real interest because I said it's boy bands. And second, you think, oh, it's just going to be boy bands, and it's going to be the director rounding up as the nuttiest of the nutty. Yeah. That she can find and basically put them on camera for the audience's amusement, as seems to be the case whenever you have like fan documentaries it's always the oddballs it's not like the average you know normal people who you know work the nine to five and they just happen to be a fan of these things and certainly i think that again we've talked already i mean we've complained to numerous times about the the interview subject and i think it's just really sort of perfect and the fact that it's not just nostalgia and it's not just a section sweet it shows the the aftermath of the obsession it's like well what happens when when the dream ends um and i thought that was it was just like a perfect way to end mm. it and i mean it ends in a hopeful yeah. place for all these people and they're still continuing their fandom and just the way that we see the fandom from like it's a most extreme point to it where it's sort of like starting to sort of like taper off into like a more sort of like everyday sort of level where they've they they put it so that they can be a fan of something and still like other things. It's not just the whole world is revolves around this this band as it seems to be when they're introduced and they're talking about like the how they become obsessed with these bands. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, as I say, it's, it's an insight into a world that I never really had. This I was always on an outsider to this world. Yeah. Of obsession, so it's interesting in the, in that side. And certainly, when I look at all the bands that I was obsessed with, they were just like, you got people butchering themselves as like and sending like the most grotesque gifts to them because I was like really into like metal and mm-hmm. like punk and skater punk and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So they were like, it's a completely different world of fandom than we see here. This, here's like very saturated and sweet, and it's like, um, as I said, it was just an, in, an a very interesting insight into a world that. I'd never really sort of had the the inside track to it. I'd always been the outsider, so to have them to present it in this way is just uh, really interesting. And yeah, yeah. No, I I definitely agree. I think that you know what felt like a fairly shallow kind of subject matter actually took a really really nice turn. Um, I was really surprised because I was thinking like an hour and a half of boy bands and fangirls. I don't know, you know, (laughs) but, but, you know, the four subjects were really interesting and they, they each represented something different. Um, There was a lot of diversity. There was a lot of coming of age subject. 
Um, it was very grounded. And it really gave a lot of insight, you know, like they, you know, presented the boy band theory and then they presented, you know, um, how these boy bands have changed their lives. And um, the whole, you know, as you get older, how do you embrace this fandom that you that you have and that you still have, um, you know, and not let everybody feel like you're a huge nutcase. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so it's it's. It, it's it's very inspiring i think like it's a it's a it's definitely a documentary that i think is worth watching but the documentary is available to view now uh, as of this as of this uh, recording so you can find it on uh, most digital platforms it's available through tricoast entertainment um amongst the platforms you can find it on amazon in demand direct tv uh vimeo on demand and fandango uh, but as I said, it, it should be available on most good streaming platforms. So, if you have any sort of interest in uh, in boy bands, or you think the the subject matter obviously interests or anything that we've obviously discussed tonight uh, interests you, definitely uh, check it out. And uh, we'd love to also hear. Let us know in the comments section which boy bands you're obsessed with. And I'd also love to know who, if you could go on a cruise for any of these uh, people, which band would be the one you would go on the cruise for? I mean. Kim's been very quiet on who she's going to go on a cruise for. <laughs> so I'll get that out of her later. But, um, but uh, yeah, this brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. If uh, you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button, whichever platform you happen to be listening to us on. You can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And uh, you can also check out our complete archive of episodes, including our Friday Film Club, where each Friday, myself and Kim both pick a movie to highlight and uh, put it together in a fun little double feature. And uh, you can find all that at moviesintpodcast.wordpress.com. Um, so thank you again for listening and thank you to my co-host Kim and um, we will be back soon with season 4 so we hope to see you soon good night